All right. Good evening. Good evening. How many of you out there like to watch those high-speed chases when they come on TV? Be honest. Wow, somebody's a little too excited about there in the back. Uh, that's law-breaking. We shouldn't be too excited about that. Maybe we can talk later. But I, I have a curiosity, as some of you uh, do. When those things come on TV, we always watch them because we want to see if they get caught at the end. My wife and I were watching one of those recently, and I think it was somewhere by Pepperdine University. The guy was driving, weaving in and out of traffic, very dangerous. And uh, he got to the point where he ran out of road and got out of the car, started booking it across some sports fields. And to, to, he wanted to be able to find some, some hiding in the, the brush area. So he's running and he gets there and he realizes once I'm in the brush area, I can kind of clandestinely move around. I'm okay because the law can't find me there. Well, the bad thing was for him that the policemen were coming on this side, and down on the hill, you could see over here on the TV, policemen were down here, but he was still kind of hiding in the, the brush over there, so they called in a police helicopter. You know, those police helicopters come in, and they got that shining light, that beaming light that comes in, and man, that light hounded him. Everywhere he went, he tried to hide, but the light would come down on him, and this this transgressor, this guy who broke the law, was just running from it. He didn't want anything to do with these authorities. He was trying to get away from it, but it hounded him. It hounded him. He was scared. He ran. He tried to get away from it however he could. Uh, if you think about those police lights, people have different reactions to them. There was another guy I read who, uh, he was doing some climbing. And I think over on the East Coast, he was doing some climbing. And he got caught late at night in an area he'd never been while he was doing some climbing. And he was, he was scared because he was afraid a misstep could cause him to fall. So he had his cell phone. He called 911. They sent a police helicopter who came out with uh, one of those beams of light. And this light came. And the guy was excited when the light came because the light helped him. It guided him. It showed him. It was there on his side. Now, if you think about it, those two police lights are the same thing. They're, they're doing the same thing. Why is there different reaction to the light? It's got everything to do with the relationship of the person to the light itself. You see, in the first one, we've got a rule breaker who runs from the light, who doesn't want the law, who doesn't want any authority to be over him. He's going to try to run from it. But in the second one, the one who's in right relationship with the law, who's on the law's side, is excited because now the light guides him to safety. This is much like the relationship between a Christian and God's commands, his law. You see, before Christ, we're like that first guy running. And everywhere we go, the Bible tells us that the light will come in and increase the trespass. It will show us to be more and more sinners. Everything we do, we cannot get away from the fact that we've broken God's law. That's what the light of the law is doing. So we're scared. We don't want it. But when we become Christians and we're redeemed from that, we're like the second guy, where now the law becomes something that helps us. It, it shows us what pleases God. It encourages us to walk more faithfully in covenant with him, and in that way, obey him. When you think about the text that we studied in 1 John, it really shows us what we should be doing with God's commands, his law, what he tells us to do. And I hope that as you looked at it, like Ian said, it's not something where we're looking and we're thinking we're going to be able to earn our forgiveness from God. We're not talking about that. But we hope we take you, you take the commands of God and say, man, I need to follow those because they are, here's Psalm 119, 105, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's what we need to be doing. So go with me in your Bibles to 1 John 2. 
We studied three through six. I want to give you in context just everything that we kind of ended up with last week. I'm going to read two, one through six. First John two, one through six. John says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is our propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But... Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We're going to talk tonight about Christian assurance, what it means to have assurance of your faith. And I hope it's a very helpful and a very um, positive one because a lot of time, actually probably most of the time that you talk about assurance, it's when you're doubting. But the Bible's talking about it in a positive sense. I want to give you assurance. I want you to know that you know God. But isn't it the case that we always talk about it when we don't think we know God? Well, I think the reason why that happens is because people have a guilty conscience from breaking some sort of God's commands. And I think it's a right question to ask, do I really know him? But John here is saying, I can give you a positive way to know that you know God is if you follow his commandments. So what we're going to do when we talk about Christian assurance, we always want to think about it in two perspectives, okay? We want to think about it from the objective side, and then we want to think about the personal subjective response, okay? And it must always go in that order. If we flip-flop this order and we go from subjective to objective, we've entered into some sort of works-based religion. But the Bible is always going to start with the objective reality. What is that? It's 1 John 2, 1 and 2. You are okay with the Father who is the judge because of something somebody else did. Jesus Christ the righteous got nothing to do with you. That is the objective reason for you to know that you have assurance with God. Jesus Christ paid for your sins. We just sang it. He is the one who took our sins. We don't get punished for them. He got punished and we get his perfect righteousness. That's the objective reality. But the Bible's going to say then, once that is true of you, there will be a response in you individually, personally, that will show that you believe that if you start to keep God's commandments. So classically, okay, I'm going to throw some theological terms at you, but I'm going to try to explain them and make them be helpful for you. Who's ever heard the, the term legalism before? Anybody heard the term legalism? Yeah, we're probably mostly familiar here. Legalism is going to start with the subject of the individual and base your assurance on what you do, okay? It bases it on how good you can be. I can be good enough so that I can start here and work my way to God in order to get to this point where I say, I'm okay. That's again, subjective to objective and that never works. That's not in the Bible. That's what legalism will tell you. Your assurance will come when you're better, when your good works outweigh your, your bad works, okay? But then sometimes it kind of kicks in the theological circles to the other side. And they say, okay, we don't want anything to do with legalism, so we'll come to this point in time. And if you've heard the term antinomian, anybody heard that phrase before? Antinomian simply means a Christian who's going to say, I don't need the law of God. I don't need the law of God for anything. That was taken care of in Christ. My only assurance is that I know Jesus died for me. 
And that's the only assurance I'll ever need. And that's exactly how I know I'm going to heaven if I believe Jesus died for me. And that sounds, that sounds awesome, right? I want to believe that. The only problem is I don't think it's fully biblical. Listen to how a Christian who believes that would have to read 1 John 2.3. If all I have to do is believe more, trust more, rest more in the gospel, 1 John 2.3 would say this, and by this we know that we've come to know him if we believe more that Jesus died for us. But that's not what 1 John 2.3 says. 1 John 2.3 and the rest of scriptures are going to say, you will know this objective reality is true in your life if it begins to show in your works. So you could put it down simply this way. The objective work, singular, of Christ is your foundation and it should play out in works that show you know him. One scripture just for you is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. By grace you have been saved through faith. Objective, that's done. That's what Jesus did. But what does verse 10 say? You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So it's Christ's work objectively, your works subjectively, individually, how you will gain assurance. And that's really how the Bible is going to continue to talk about this over and over again. So always make sure you're thinking about it in this sense. These works are never earning anything. They're only evidencing what's really taken place in my life. That's how it's going to happen. So then we're coming to John and we're wondering, okay, he's really wanting us to obey. How can I make sure that I, I find the right balance to know it's objectively, but it must subjectively show in my life? How can I know that? I'd like you to think in terms of this, okay? If you would write down enough versus more, okay? Write down enough versus more. This is how you talk biblically about obedience the way John is trying to get us to think. Enough versus more. If you ever begin in your Christian life to talk about obedience with the description of enough, you've just left Christian faith and talked about some sort of workspace religion. So if I say, I've obeyed God enough, you're thinking your works are what your assurance is going to get you into heaven. So take enough out of it. I can't say, I've done enough to get to heaven. You can never talk about obedience in that sense. But then it would be wrong to think, Okay, since I can't obey God enough, then I shouldn't try to obey him at all, which is the terminology to say, oh, <laughs> Jesus paid for it all. I don't need anything else for more assurance. So take enough out of it. If you're talking about obedience, which John is talking about here, enough has to be taken out of it. But the description you must have, and notice the word must, because it's here in John when he says you ought to walk the way Jesus walked. You must have the description more with obedience. I am going to obey him more. I'm going to do this more. Because that speaks of growing and increasing and maturing rather than staying stagnant and not doing anything to be pleasing to God. Two scriptures to prove that to you. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, ch chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. 1 Thess 4, 1 to 12. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says there. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord that just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, what's the next phrase? That you do so more and more. See, it's not just enough to think, oh, okay, uh, God is pleased with me because of what Jesus has done. I don't need to do anything else. No, the Bible says 
If that's true of you and you're walking and pleasing God, do it more and more. It should be this increasing. It should be this growing. It can't be stagnant or else we're going to come to John and say, if I say I know him but I don't keep his commandments, I'm a liar and I don't practice the truth. We've got to have it more. Obedience always talking about in terms of more. How can I do this more? I want to do this more. I need to do this more. That's how we're going to talk. The second one, Second uh, Peter 1, 3 through... 11, 3 through 11. It'll tell you at the beginning, 3, his divine power has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. That's objectively taken care of for you. God did it, gave it to you just because he's gracious. Then he goes on in verse 5 to say this, because of that very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And he goes through a bunch of different things. Verse 10 says this, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. You hear that verb, you hear that word more in there? You've got to be more diligent. I'm never fine with the diligence that I have. It must be increasing. It must be growing. And when we talk in this realm, now we're not encouraging legalistic obedience of enough. It's how can I do this more? How can I do this more? I need to do this more. And that's what we want to be about. And what is the more in this text? I'm saying that I know him. I should be keeping his commandments. I should follow the light and help me, please, help me be pleasing to God with the result of, verse 6, walking the way that Jesus walks. Guys, I hope that with what we talked about last time, just looking at the life of Jesus, that the fact that if you are saved by him, by his grace and grace alone, the fact that you can begin to imitate him should be the most enticing thing in the world to you. I mean, you remember what it's like growing up and idolizing an athlete or something like that. I loved Ken Griffey Jr. Anybody else out there? We got Ken Griffey Jr. Everything I could do, I wanted to be just like him. I would swing like him. I would play the positions he played. I'd buy the stuff that he had. I wanted to do that because I, I idolized him in that sense. <clears throat> And what I begin to idolize, I'm going to begin to imitate, the Bible will tell me. Well, it's not idol worship when it's Jesus Christ who deserves our worship. And if I'm worshiping him, I now look at him and say, oh, my life should begin to look like him. I should walk the same way that Jesus walks. And you know what? That's all over scripture. 1 Peter 2.21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. It's all over there. Christ suffered for you because you're a sinner, died on your behalf that you might die to sin and live to righteousness, the rest of that passage will say. But then he's going to lay down the pattern to say, you should walk this same way. And that's what the pursuit of holiness is. You becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do here in Thrive. We do it in a number of different ways. We do it through the small group questions you're answering. We do it by singing praise and worship. We try to serve around the church. One of the great ways that we do it is accountability. If I could just take a brief moment before we head off to small groups to talk about that, I'd love to help you guys out with that. Accountability, if you've experienced it in the past, I hope has been a great source of spiritual growth for you. Uh, I was reading a, a study about some uh, Douglas fir trees and how they survive. They survive by being interconnected in their root system and the big, stronger trees help the smaller, younger trees survive and grow and thrive. That's what we're trying to do in accountability. 
We've got some people who are real mature, been a Christian a long time, and they're coming in saying, hey, guys, we want to help you grow. We want you to be more like Jesus. And if you're new, there's no reason to be ashamed or anything like that. Come on in, and we want to help you experience that growth. I love accountability. I've seen it help myself. I've seen it help my wife. It's just a great way that we try to promote holiness. There's something that we do that if you're new here, I'd just like to clarify for you for a moment. On Thrive on Thursday nights, we understand that some of you come and Cummins Bible Church isn't your home, which we would welcome you anytime you wanted to come. We understand that you go to a, another church on a weekend. Maybe they don't have a marriage ministry like this. Uh, maybe they don't have a nice Awana program like we do. And we love that you come here. We want you to take advantage of that. We want to get to know you. We want a fellowship with you. But when we come and we talk about accountability then, now we're talking about an area in the Bible of shepherding. You guys understand the metaphor of a shepherd, right? That's what a pastor does at that point in time. So when there's the metaphor of a shepherd, there's a, a pastor leading a flock of people. So all I'm asking you to do is if you go to another church on Sunday morning, that you not attend our accountability groups outside of Thursday nights, just for the simple fact that having multiple shepherds on opposing, you know, not necessarily teams, we're on the same team, but opposing directions uh, is, is kind of confusing. Okay, 1 Peter 5 tells us, I should shepherd the flock of God. And if you come here, I'm going to say, hey, come this way, eat this grass, drink this water, lay down here, that's going to be fine. It's kind of confusing if then on a weekend you go and maybe it's not antithetical teaching to us, but they say, oh no, you should come over here and do this type of thing. It's just kind of confusing in that sense. So all I'm asking is if you go to another church on the weekend, that you not come to our accountability groups because that's where I, in my shepherding, come to find out if you're doing what we're asking you to do. It's what we're doing. Now, if you are, you're checking out Compass Bible Church, you don't have another home church, feel free to come check out our accountability. I want you to see what we do. I want you to know what you're getting into if you decide Compass to be your home. But if you've already made your decision that, hey, this other church, this is really my home church, I'm just using this as supplemental, we welcome that. We would really love for you to continue to come. But just go there with that other pastor and sit down with him and say, I'd like to be held accountable. I'd like you to pour into my life and tell me what you want me to do because you're going to answer before God for me. And if he doesn't say he'll do that, I would question, do you want to be at a church where the pastor doesn't care about that? I can promise you if you come here, we will care about that. And I'll sit down and have a meeting with you. But that's what I ask for you. Now, I know there's a number of different questions that might run through your mind. Please feel free to come and talk to me. If you have a question about that, you don't understand why we do that, love to answer that. You can set up a meeting, call me, email me. You can tweet me if you can get fit into 140 characters. Uh, I will do whatever I can to help you understand this, just because I want the best for your spiritual growth. And having direction from one set of shepherds, in my mind, in this church's estimation, is the best way to do that. So if you have any questions, feel free to email me, talk to me after. I'd love to explain it to you further. But for those of us who call Compass our home and we utilize this as our church, guys, let's use accountability the way it should be. The, the older, mature, being there to support those who are younger, to grow them up so that we have a strong forest to stand out amidst of the dry wasteland that is out there in this world. Because it is. You just turn on the TV and you notice what is out there. We can be an oasis. Cummins Bible Church could be an oasis to stand out there and say, no, this is the way that God wants us to live. Please, please come on board and be with us, okay? Let's pray and we'll go to small groups. Father, thank you so much for this time and this, this quick look at your word, but Father, an important look. 
where we would be honest to say, I need to follow your commands, God. I need to do what you're asking me to do because, Father, I'm on the right side of the law. I've been forgiven, redeemed, all by the work of Christ. May I now, Father, strive to be more like him each and every day. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.